Hello and welcome to the Rambling Runner Podcast. I'm your host, Matt Chittam, and this is the podcast for all the dedicated amateur runners out there who are working hard to get better while balancing running with the rest of their lives. And today on the show, I have my first two-person interview. So we got Amy Hainick and Sarah Plumstead, who together are the Run Strong Project. Both Sarah and Amy are very accomplished runners, and I was so happy to have them on the show today. So I interviewed them both about the Run a Strong Project and what they're doing from a coaching perspective, but we actually dive into each of their running backgrounds, what they're doing now, and what they're hoping to do in the future. So I'm not going to dive into all of what we talked about, but some of the the big points that I do want to mention. Um, first thing is Amy talked at length about her struggles and challenges with uh, with an eating disorder that kind of came to fruition earlier in her life, and it's something that she's dealt with since then. And think that part of the conversation is very important, not only for people who may be going through something similar, but those of us who know people who are going through through uh, through similar things. And Amy was very. Um, very forthcoming and had a lot of candor and spoke very frankly about what she's gone through. And I think it's something that I know I learned a lot about. And Sarah talked a little bit about her life as not only a runner, but as a mother who's dealing with uh, or working with uh, her child of special needs and uh, just the challenges that that entails from a parent's perspective. And, you know, she does all things she should, she can as a mother, but is also has a, uh, you know, big goals as a runner. So she actually was named part of the elite run rabbit group recently. Uh, she's one heck of a runner and she just recently actually paced Amy at the Bayshore Marathon. So with all of that said, I can't wait to dive into this episode. I hope you like it. It was our first time doing a two-part interview, not two-part, but basically three people on the call at one time. I hope you like the audio. I hope you like what you hear because these are two very, very fascinating people, uh, and I was so uh, just delighted to have them on the show. So that's enough about me. Let's dive into this episode with Amy Hainick and Sarah Plumstead. Hello, Sarah and Amy, and welcome to the Rambling Runner podcast. How are you? Great. How are you? I'm doing great. We are happy to be well, here. I'm so glad you could be here, too. So this is the first time I've done a podcast where I'm talking to two people at the same time. However, I shouldn't say it's the first time I've done it. We did do this a couple months ago. It didn't go great. <laughs> um, the audio was not that good. But I'm glad we're giving another chance because both of you uh, are fascinating as individuals and even better as a team. So thank you so much for coming on the show. Oh, thank you for having us again. Oh, it's great. And I uh, I actually was wearing my Run Strong Project shirt today on my, on my easy Love run. It. it was good. It fit really well. I liked thank it. You for sending that to me. Good. Oh, no. We were glad to see you wearing it. But I want to know, did you wear the shirt and not eat sugar? Yes. In fact, I did. So I did. I've been following your no sugar. Yeah. Address. So there you go. See, I, I, uh, I'm on... So I started, I jumped on the no sugar train on Sunday morning. Um, and so what's today? So it's Wednesday. I haven't had any sugary foods or at, or foods with added sugar in them since I started. And I'll tell you what, I had some massive, massive headaches the first few days. Um, uh, today wasn't too bad. The only headache I got today was because my son accidentally kicked me right in the head while we were playing. Ah. But that was that was the only headache I had today. <laughs> that'll yeah, do that'll, it. That'll do it. Um, but but you, well, you wouldn't believe it. Today someone put 
a donut cake in our office kitchen. Oh my gosh. It'll test you. Torture. Yeah, it was just sitting there. And like, there's this great donut shop in Rhode Island. Anyone who's from around here knows it. It's called Allie's Donuts. They will make a donut cake for you, basically to your size in design specifications. And it's just miraculous. And, um, and I passed. I passed on that. And I wow, passed good on for you. And I passed on decorative cupcakes that are like mini, like, um, like a going away party for a staff member. Oh. Anyway, um, so as if my life wasn't fun enough <laughs> as a 37 year old parent, <laughs> I've now taken sugar out too. So now I'm completely no fun. Right. For sure. Oh, goodness. <laughs> but I appreciate you giving me a heads up uh, on that. And, I um yeah actually I just put out an episode because uh, this is Thursday I'm sorry it's Wednesday night right now so for Thursday morning I'm actually interviewing somebody who kind of basically gives me a a therapy session on the podcast she she's done the no sugar thing and she's a holistic wellness coach so she basically like puts me through a mini session on like you know self sabotage and stuff like that so it was interesting so oh, we'll see if I'm kind of going on the limb yeah. but. Enough about me. We're not here to talk about me. I can do my own podcast on myself another time. Um, I'm excited to talk to both of you. And I think it, it really is exciting. Uh, I guess we can start, first of all, because, Bob, we'll, we'll get into each of your backgrounds and what you're doing now and in the future and, and all of that. Um, what made you want to start the Run Strong Project and what exactly is it? So the Run Strong Project is an, a business that Sarah and I started that does online run coaching and strength training. So basically we get clients and we create a schedule based on their goals that includes uh, running and strength training. So they kind of get a, you know, a schedule every couple weeks and incorporates both and they're held accountable to us. And um, yeah, so that's about what we do. Great. So, Amy, so you do more of the strength stuff and Sarah does more of the running stuff? Or how do you how do you uh, kind of work out who does what within the team? You know, it kind of just evolved that way because Sarah was run coaching before we started the business. In fact, she's my run coach. And we met in the fitness industry. And it just kind of, kind of happened. We kind of just, you know, said, hey, why don't we do this? And strength training is so important. And, and so we kind of just teamed up. Got it. So Sarah, yeah. Sarah, what were you two doing professionally kind of before you got this started? Like what, what, what were your backgrounds in, uh, in athletics, both professionally and just, you know, from a, from a hobby and activity standpoint? Okay. So professionally, Amy and I have both been in the fitness industry for several years. Uh, we were both, uh, doing some personal training, teaching group fitness, and that's how we met. Now, outside of my profession, I was, I guess you could call me a, a recreational runner. I started running about 10 years ago, um, just with, as some stress relief. I, I have to say, you know, in high school, I did play sports, uh, mainly tennis and softball. And at that point, I feel like running was kind of used as a punishment in sports. <laughs> you know, if you were slacking off, you had to run a couple suicides or, you know, do a couple laps around the court. So it, it probably didn't... Um, running wasn't that favorable in my mind at that age. But um, once I got a little older and became a parent, uh, my, my viewpoint definitely changed. So you started running at around age 30, right? 
Yes. So about 11 years ago when I was 30, uh, after I had my second daughter, uh, it became apparent pretty quickly on that she had special needs. And we actually didn't get a definitive diagnosis until she was almost seven. Um, her name is Olivia, and she has a rare chromosome disorder. So she's missing about 35 genes in her sixth chromosome. And basically, that manifests itself in a variety of special needs. She has some cognitive impairment, low muscle tone. She has epilepsy. She has scoliosis. So basically, you know, things things that you can manage, things that you can treat. But it was a really stressful time. It, it's not what you imagine, you know, when you think about getting married and having kids. And running became just a really uh life-saving outlet for me in terms of stress relief and getting time to myself and really just having time to process. And while she was kind of formally diagnosed around age seven, how early on in her mm -hmm. life did, were you able to recognize that maybe something um, wasn't quite what you expected? I would say within the first three months, you know, her being my second child, I kind of had a benchmark uh, as far as, you know, how things progress as far as, you know, sitting up, rolling over, crawling, all of those things. And she was not hitting her milestones. Got it. So for you, running kind of switched from being an outlet to something that was very therapeutic? Extremely. And, it, you know, as I was in college and, and getting, you know, into my professional career, I would run, you know, three or four miles here and there to stay in shape, primarily on a treadmill. But, um, after Olivia was born and I started running, I found that being outside was just amazing for me in terms of just being able to breathe some fresh air, get away from my house for a little bit. And it became a really instrumental part of, of my functioning. And then at what point did that progress from therapy to something that you started attaching goals to and having it part of your, your own personal identity? Because shoot right now, I mean, you are you 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 were just signed up. It sounds like for for Pro Rabbit as one of their one of their their you know kind of elite group of runners. So you went from hey, I run occasionally and and, and a little bit for therapy <laughs> to like hey, I'm one of the best runners around. Um, <laughs> it so... snowballed quickly. <laughs> Let's say that. Um, so so after about six months of me just kind of running outside and just you know for for the therapy benefits, I thought, well, I'm doing all this running maybe I should run a half marathon because, you know, why, why start with a 5k? Let's just go to the half marathon. And that's um, what you tell all so, of your athletes. <laughs> that's what I advise <laughs> everyone to do. I mean, heck just go to the ultra, but, um, so yeah, so I ran my first half in 2007 and I think I ran around maybe a 147 or 148 really just fell in love. And I thought, well, heck, if I can run a half, I can double it. So, um, the following year in 2008, I ran my first marathon and I finished in 331 and I qualified for that crazy race called the Boston Marathon. And uh, from there, it was just it became a, a lifetime addiction. Well, when you dropped a 331 for your first marathon, um, I guess, especially now, if you look back on it now as a coach and having some distance uh, from that achievement. I think it's pretty clear when someone does that in their first marathon that they obviously have a significant amount of potential. And when you combine that with a strong work ethic, that they could probably take them pretty far. Did you have a sense in the moment that a 331 for a first marathon was pretty special? 
as I was finishing, when I got to about mile 25, I joined up with, you know, just a, a random person that I had never met before who has now actually become a good friend. And he said, you know, started asking me some questions. He noticed that I had a green bib, which means it's your first marathon. So he's like, wow, my gosh, you know what you're about to do. You're about to qualify for Boston. And I, I, I really didn't grasp what what I had accomplished, I was just so excited to cross that finish line for the first time. But once I got home, of course, I'd hop right on the computer and start reading. And it's at that point in 2008, you could still sign up for Boston at the end of October and still get in for the following spring. So that's exactly what I did. I ran Boston uh, six months later in 2009. Wow. Yeah, that's like a light years away from what you see now. Like I think it's a I forget exactly how many, but I was talking to Marcus Brown, who's a, uh, who lives over in England. He said, he was astonished by how many people sign up for the London Marathon now, where it's almost like you have a better chance of winning Powerball than running at some of these marathons. <laughs> oh, goodness. Yeah. <laughs> no, that's for sure. <laughs> no, and, Amy, it, and it was not like that 10 years ago. No, that's a good point. Well, it, it's kind of like been, it's been kind of up and down, right? Like you see, you know, marathon running in, in the United States, I think it's like that's been like the, uh, that's been the tale. Right. Is that you was the, the running boom and then it kind of uh, backtracked a little bit. And then what was 10 years ago, they started kind of like the the Nike Oregon project and Hanson's and all that as like a way to mm-hmm. counteract, uh, especially the American men's inability to do anything on the world stage from a marathon perspective. Uh, but you see it even more so right. now with the women, uh, with Shalene Flanagan and Des Linden um, in New York and Boston, respectively kind of, you know, lighting the world on fire from a U.S. marathon perspective. We've come a long way in 10 years. That's for sure. So, Amy, we'll touch on you as well. Yeah. Um, so, so from your athletic background, uh, I guess same thing question, same question for you that I had for Sarah. Kind of where, where did you start off? My story is a little bit different. I came from a very athletic background in high school, as Sarah did, and I was a three-sport athlete and, you know, went on to Michigan State and – became kind of a number there versus being a someone in high school and really struggled with that and actually um, developed and overcame a pretty severe eating disorder. So that was, that was kind of college for me was kind of getting past that. And once I was done, you know, I kind of just needed that next, that next, that next like athletic goal. Um, you know, something to strive for, even though I wasn't surrounded by teammates or coaches. And so running just kind of became that for me. And so I started running pretty much right after college. And I think I ran my first marathon in 1997. Um, and like Sarah, I was hooked immediately. (laughs) So. (laughs) (laughs) And was running part of how you dealt with your uh, your eating disorder? How how did that, I guess, why do you think that manifested itself in college and how were you able to work past it? I think it manifested my, itself in college. Um, it, now it's easy for me to look back on and it, it's very textbook. You know, I came from, from a high school where, you know, everybody knew me and I was good and I was a perfectionist and, you know, I really strive to be the best. And, you know, you go to a school like Michigan State where there's thousands and thousands of people and you're really just a number. And for me, it was very hard to not be the best at something or 
be able to control everything around me. So I started to control what I could, which was, and I think I realized, or I realized my parents realized pretty early on that I needed some help and, you know, they, they got it for me. And so throughout college, I was in a lot of therapy and, you know, dealt with that. And then I really was just looking for something to replace that. I mean, I want not something that I could necessarily control, but something that I had a goal that I could strive for, something that helped me look at the big picture, you know, would keep me grounded, um, gave me confidence, you know, all of that. And running just did that for me. And I consider myself very lucky because, you know, I'm able to manage running in a healthy way. And I would assume, and please correct me if I'm wrong, that it, obviously getting over that requires a lot of mental energy. Was it nice to be able to kind of put your mental energy into something new and maybe a little bit more like exciting than kind of your own, you're kind of getting past your own demons? Absolutely. I mean, absolutely. It is so it gave me an, it, it almost gave me a new purpose to, you know, on what, and it's a life, it's a lifelong, I don't want to say habit, um, you know, activity. So it's, it's a lifelong thing that I was able to focus on and new goals and, you know, just for me. And it's, you know, it's, it's an independent thing, but there's the camaraderie of like, you know, runners and you can find people all over and it just, it was, it's really, I still like smile when I think about the fact that it, it almost kind of like saved me. So. And I hope you don't mind me asking these questions because no, I, I think all. that I a lot of runners, okay. Cause a lot of runners, uh, especially female runners <laughs> yeah. uh, that I've talked to have gone through similar circumstances yeah. uh, in regards to their eating disorders. And for you, what was the point? at which you were able to um, either identify or have someone close to you identify the problem and you were then able to take action on it. Cause sometimes, as you know, like, you know, you have people who are like, Hey, they might tell you like, Hey, you have a problem, but you're not ready to act. That's right. right? Where was the moment for you that you were able to like, all right, this is the issue. And now I'm going to start having, you know, being part of the solution here. Yes. I, and I am very lucky. I mean, I consider myself extremely lucky because I did have people in my life who were, who, who knew me very well and were very able to say like, Hey, you know, we think you have a problem. I mean, and that those people ranged from friends to family. I mean, I remember vividly a friend of mine in college telling me that he would give me an hour back massage if I would eat a Snickers. And the thought of eating a Snickers was like the scariest moment of my entire life. And, you know, so I remember there being that. And then I remember, you know, coming home from college and my parents being concerned about my weight. I mean, that was definitely, obviously, that's definitely an outward, you know, sign. And we went to um, a local hospital, had an eating disorder support group. And we went in and there were people at all levels of recovery and sickness. And we walked out of there and I remember my parents saying to me, thank God that, thank God that's not you. And I became hysterical. And I said, I'm trying to tell you guys like, that is me. 
Like, this is me. And so right then, I think they realized, you know, how serious it was. And I think I finally gave in to, okay, you know, somebody needs to help me. And from then on, I really wanted to get better. And I would assume that, that it really has to be, the you know, basically in your case, it has to be you that, that makes that decision to get better, right? You can't be forced into it. It does, and that's very hard. And I, I struggle with that sometimes now because, you know, like you said, you know, both Sarah and I, you know, I think we all know runners and athletes who struggle with this. And I truly think that until you want help or to get better, it's very, very difficult to give someone advice or help them or, you know, so yes, I agree. You have to want to get better and taking that step is scary. It's, I understand why people you know, why it takes years and years. It is not easy. It is scary. But if I could tell anybody something, it would just be how much, how relieved you feel and how much happier and how many other things there are to focus on that are so much more important. And it's kind of like anything, you know, you, you, you don't know until you're in that situation. So hindsight's, you know, twenty twenty. Now, what are some of the life lessons that you learned from going through that process and coming out the other side? Oh, my gosh. I think about it every day still. Um, the life lessons that I've learned. Um, don't sweat the small stuff. Um, you know, you have a bad day. It's one bad day. It's it's not a lifetime of bad days. Um, surround yourself with, you know, people who know you, who love you, and who you're comfortable with. Um, I mean, there's, there's way too many. I mean, I think about it daily and you know what, to be honest with you, I still, I still work on recovering. You know, for me, I know my triggers. Um, I have slips every now and then, you know, my husband knows my triggers and Sarah knows my triggers and I have people who I can talk to and who are only looking out for my, you know, best well-being. Wow. Well, thank you for sharing all of that. I, I really appreciate it. And like I said, I know a lot of people have either gone through it and they can, they can uh, identify with that, or maybe they're going through some of that right now. Or as you mentioned, it can, it can be something that never, ex never exactly leaves you right. 100%. So um, there's, there's definitely that middle ground there between the two extremes that I just mentioned. And so while that's where you were, um, kind of in your early 20s, how did you progress athletically from that point? So I ran my first marathon, like I said, in 1997. I ran a 335. I also qualified for Boston. Man, you two, just going out there, well, yeah, first <laughs> marathon. Sarah, Sarah's a little more advanced <laughs> now, but that's okay. So I, um, I didn't realize that also that qualifying for Boston was such a huge deal. So I actually did not even run it that year, thinking that, Oh, it's no big deal. I'll qualify next year. <laughs> so, um, <laughs> you know, I did end up running Boston several years later and I just, it just became kind of like my thing. I loved it. I love running and I love the feeling and there's nothing like that finish line. And I just recently, since Sarah started coaching me, started to kind of run 
with some specific time goals in mind. So that's been like a new challenge for me and, you know, doing actual workouts and not running every, you know, run at the same pace and kind of, you know, still at 44 years old, still having some athletic goals that I'm working towards. And that's a great segue because I want to talk to you about what, what do you think, and this is for both of you, I guess, Sarah, we'll, we'll start with you, is the importance of having or striving for athletic goals for people uh, like us, like people who are juggling, uh, you know, family life, being a, you know, a husband, a wife, uh, a father, um, all of those things that, that, that can kind of obviously take up so much time. And at the same time, um, you know, having a professional life as well to say nothing of, you know, friends <laughs> or, you know, or like, you know, <laughs> the stuff you have to do around the house or, you know, errands or yard work and all of that stuff. So how, how important is having and striving for athletic goals in your mind? For me, it's everything. I I think it's a huge source of motivation and I have mention this to people that if I, I tend to run a spring and a fall marathon every year, basically because it keeps me getting out the door. You know, there's a reason there's a, a finish line. And it, I honestly think that the work ethic and the determination that I have built up through running has definitely spilled over into the other areas of my life. Um, I think it makes me more efficient with everything that I do because I know that I've got to go out and get that run in. And honestly, being the mother of two daughters, I think it's also setting a good example for them about working hard, setting a goal. Sometimes you achieve it and you know what, sometimes you don't. And that's probably the best lesson that I've taught them is that you're not going to succeed every time, but you keep working. Now, do you, do you, say that explicitly to them or is that something that's kind of like the subtext of, of the work that you put in? Well, there have been definitely races where, I mean, cause it, especially my older daughter, you know, she'll ask what my time goal is and she loves to track me during races and send me little motivational texts to keep oh, me going. Fun. And Oh my gosh. It's, it is the only reason that I run with my phone because it's connected to my Garmin and, you know, every time, you know, she gets the tracking update, she'll say, you know, mom, you passed this many people or, you know, you're in this place right now. Keep it up. And I absolutely love it. And so so she knows when I cross that finish line, if I hit the time that I wanted to hit or not. And sometimes I haven't. And I think it's been really good for me to talk with her and say, hey, you know, I didn't hit it this time, but you keep working at it and you'll get there. There you go. And, and Amy, you just mentioned that you started do, had, kind of taking more of a time goal perspective in your running mm-hmm. now than you had in the past. So how has that, how has that changed things for you? And um, just how do you feel about just striving for goals uh, generally? I feel so much better. I mean, and Sarah and I kind of joked about this, that I, the fact that I've never, you know, had a time goal or run for time. And it's, I mean, it's changed my life. Like a, I like being accountable to someone B I love having something that I'm chasing and my kids are a little bit different. You know, um, I think that for the first couple of years of my kids' lives, they didn't even know that I ran because I would be home and showered before they were even awake. (laughs) So, you know, but I think 
they, they just know that their mom runs. Like I hear them say it to their friends and you know, it's, it just, it's, I like that they, I like that they like that I run. Um, I think it makes me a better parent. I think I'm able to concentrate more on my family. You know, when I have my own goals kind of set aside as well, I think that's important that we don't get lost, especially as mothers. Um, it's easy to get caught up in everybody else. And I think it's nice to have something for, you know, yourself. It's, I would, I would assume that is basically necessary for almost everybody. I know it is for me. It is for the people I talk to. Obviously it's like, you know, it, it's a self-selected group. So I'm usually talking to other runners. Mm-hmm. So uh, you know, on some level, <laughs> um, I'm seeking out people who would already identify with that belief. But on some level, I would say that every parent needs that, that, that time to themselves. And by setting a goal, you're almost just ensuring that you're going to do that for yourself. As opposed to just saying, hey, I would like to do X or I would like to do Y. But also it kind of feeds into your personality too, right? Like Sarah, you mentioned that if you didn't have a goal, you don't know if you'd get out the door. Whereas for Amy, it, seemed, it sounds like you might, you know, you didn't necessarily need a goal, but that, but having one kind of enhanced your life. Yes. Having one enhanced my life a hundred percent. I mean, it's, it's like, it literally has changed, changed my life. And yes, I would get out the door regardless. Um, but this has made it, I don't know if I'd say fun. I was going to say more fun, but fun might not be the word I'd be using right now. <laughs> oh, come on. Why, did, you, did, you, did you have a hard workout today? Did, 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 did no, I'm favoring because someone? we're running Bayshore a week from Saturday. That's so, right. That's right. Yes. So, no, but I'll, I'll give you an update after Bayshore and let you know how I feel about my goals. <laughs> <laughs> so, Sarah, did you ever have a point where um, in the last, say, what, 10 or 11 years where goal and all of a sudden your training just kind of fell off completely. Yeah. I mean, I would, I wouldn't say that I ever stopped running, but I definitely, definitely dislike that little period between training cycles when really you're supposed to kind of be resting and letting your body heal. And it's really too early to start training for your next one. And it's just like, oh, okay, I'm going to go out and run, but how far should I go? How fast should I go? I, I don't like that limbo period. I, I'm a very regimented, scheduled person. So that's why I'm always thinking about my next race, what's going to happen next, just so I don't fall into that, you know, no man's land of not knowing what I'm doing. Right. Well, in the same vein as um, what I mentioned before about, you know, we're all busy. We're trying to live these crazy lives where we feel like we're never doing enough in almost every area of our life. Um, The same thing can happen with our our athletic lives. And by that, I mean, there is this kind of internal tension um, and sometimes external as well, where you have this idea of like, all right, I want to get in my runs, you know, my workouts, my long runs and in my easy runs, but I also want to get in my core work and my flexibility and my strength training and, and all this. Um, so how do you, um, I'll start with Amy. How do you decide how much time you're going to devote to all of these and how do you prioritize them? So I, 
don't really decide how long I'm going to spend. Um, you know, typically I will look at my week. I'm an early morning riser. So I've been known for my alarm to go off before four o'clock in the morning, just, you know, to make sure to get everything in. Um, as far as, I mean, I spend, as we all do, we all spend a lot of hours running. I do notice, and I know the importance of strength training, flexibility training. So I do make that a priority as well. And if, and I know that if I have a hard workout, that's going to take me a long time. I'll tack on 30 extra minutes so I can get in that strength training because I know that the next day is a rest day and I want to make that easy day very easy. So I kind of prioritize like that. It, it, it almost is like my rest day is my reward. So, you know, I put in this, this much work and I'm going to make sure that my easy day is easy. And even if you can only get in, even if I have an extra 15 or 20 minutes, like I will take advantage of it and do some strength training, some strength training or some foam rolling or some stretching. So I would say that's how I kind of prioritize everything. But I think I always like to get my run done first. <laughs> so do you, do you feel like you've kind of built up the habit at this point where you don't have to spend too much time thinking about it? Like it's just kind of ingrained into your, into your lifestyle? It is ingrained because I have a specific number of strength training sessions that I like to do per week. And, you know, I know how many days I'm going to run um, per week. Now, just depending where I am in the training schedule, you know, cycle, that can change. And if I'm between training cycles, you know, I might do more strength training than I normally would, but it, I've become stronger and less prone to injury since I've made strength training more of a habit. So I do try and prioritize that more than I ever have before. Right. And I don't know about YouTube, but I feel like it, it's almost like this inverse relationship with importance and my, um, I guess my affection for it is that with weight training, I feel like <laughs> as I, when I was younger, I liked it more, but I probably needed it less. Whereas now, like, oh, I definitely. dislike it more, but I probably need to do it more often. Yeah, I, I can definitely identify with that. I, as I have gotten older, um, I'm not sure I can say I've learned to love strength training, but I have learned to appreciate it and realize how important it is. And so since the running part comes so easily and naturally to me, I kind of um, will threaten myself <laughs> if I don't get, you know, if I let the snooze go on a little bit too long, then I say, okay, I'm going to have to shorten my run then because that strength training piece is so important. And if it means I have to run a couple less miles, then, then that's what's going to happen because I just, I can't emphasize enough how integral strength training has been for me as far as staying injury free and getting faster. Well, that's interesting, right? Because I always wonder how it works for someone who is kind of at the faster end of their age group um, where I, I know me in part because of my own personality of being a procrastinator and being able to rationalize my way out of just about anything. Um, I would be like, Hey, I'm already one of the fastest people in here. I'm obviously not someone who needs to do this. You know what I mean? Like what, what made you embrace it, uh, despite your, um, I guess your displeasure, that's too hard of a word, but, uh, with, with this, despite the fact that you really right. weren't that fond of it. 
I um, often remind myself how my three stress fractures felt that I have had in the past. And um, strength training has built up my bone density. I have the, the DEXA scores, you know, to back that up, that I have been able to increase my bone density from strength training. And if there's ever a day where I look at those dumbbells and think, oh, God, not today, I just remember oh, remember when you fractured your pelvis and you couldn't run for 12 weeks? Let's get in that 20 minutes right now and, and prevent that from happening again. Now how do how does someone uh, stress fracture in their pelvis? Like, I'm, I'm used to, like, <laughs> I, I hear about, like, I hear about, like, knees and feet. How does it work with the pelvis? Yes, this one of those special rare stress fractures. Um, <laughs> my doctor actually did scratch his head the second time that I did it because typically it's not a weight-bearing bone. But um, if you have overall weakness in your bone density, I mean, I, I think you can probably, you know, crack pretty much anywhere. Wow. But I, I like to get those really rare special injuries. Oh, you're a special lady. So there you yeah. go, obviously. Yes, <laughs> I like to be. <laughs> so what, what is this bone density test? What is it? How is it done? And where did you fall before and after you started doing strength training? Oh, it's so easy. I wish that everyone would do it. Basically, it's called a DEXA scan. And all you do is lay on a table and kind of an x-ray machine passes over you. And they take measurements, oh gosh, in specific places, in your spine, your heel, in a couple other places and you get, um, I believe it's called a Z score. And basically that will put you in the range of normal bone density, uh, osteopenia, which is the precursor to osteoporosis or full blown osteoporosis. So after my third stress fracture, I had a DEXA scan and I was hovering right, right at the osteoporosis range. They said, um, I think they told me I had the bones of a 76-year-old woman, and at this point, I was probably 35. So your bones were doing like a Benjamin Button on you? <laughs> yeah, totally. <laughs> so it, it, that was a little tough to swallow. Um, so yeah, so in come the dumbbells, and I started strength training and really keeping a better eye on my diet as far as, you know, especially calcium intake. Um, I had a follow-up DEXA about two and a half years later, and um, my score had improved. I was still in the osteopenia range, but my score had improved significantly. Wow, that's huge. I, I think that it's, it's, uh, it's, it's interesting to put that into perspective, um, or I say put it, put it in the framework of like actual metrics that can back up the strength training. I feel oftentimes um, – it kind of gets put into this idea of like, hey, you're going to feel better, and isn't this great? And it's like, well, yeah, that sounds nice and all, but like, it doesn't feel great when I'm sore, and it doesn't feel great when I'm doing this instead of doing something else, and like, I'm already busy or I'm tired, I don't want to go. You know what I mean? It's, it's, I feel like this brings up a really good point about I can how I can see why you would, in your own words, look at the dumbbells and say, well, hey, remember, remember what happened last time, and then to be able to have <laughs> metrics to back it up. As opposed to just having a good feeling about it. Definitely. And I think that especially appeals to numbers, to runners, because we all love our Garmin data, right? I mean, this is basically, you know, right in the same vein. So, yeah, that was a very powerful motivator for me. That's awesome. All right. So you guys are running the Bayshore Marathon in a week and a half. That is exciting. And, and so where is the Bayshore Marathon, first of all? It's in Traverse City, Michigan. Okay, and that's what I thought. And I want to bring this up. It's 
I've talked to a surprising number of runners from Michigan. Uh, I say surprising because I've never even been to Michigan. Um, but I feel like there's like a serious running scene in Michigan. Can you speak to the community, the running community in Michigan, and especially given the fact that it's not exactly, um, you know, a warm weather area, how strong <laughs> no. is the reasons behind the, the strong community within the Michigan running scene? The Michigan running community is amazing. First of all, we have the Detroit Marathon, which is international, and you run in two countries because you run in Canada and the U.S. And, I mean, it has become a huge, huge race. Um, I think – So if you get hurt on the Canadian side, do you get to have <laughs> their health care? How, how does that work? It's a really good question. I, I, I am not sure about that. That is I not don't. a political statement. I'm not pro or anti anything <laughs> for anyone who's listening to this. I'm just curious how that works. No, and they scare you, too, because – they they do tell you that you should be running with your passport just in case. <laughs> yes, as a Free Press Marathon ambassador, I will verify that you do need your passport with you as you cross the bridge into Canada and come back through the tunnel into the United States because you could be stopped. I have never known of anyone to ever be stopped, but... And I've never know. known of anyone to run with their passport. <laughs> <laughs> No so, so, so do they have do they have mounties like along the path? Yes, totally. That's awesome. Yeah, it's crazy. It is. It is really. That is one of the highlights, though, because you go into Canada over the bridge and you come back through the tunnel. So it it actually is pretty cool. And you know, of course, when you're running back through the tunnel with fifty thousand of your closest friends, you know, everyone's laughing because one minute you're in <laughs> Canada and then the next you're in the U.S. So and coming out of the tunnel is your first kind of glimpse of like the crowds. So it is, it, it is super exciting. And the, the Michigan running community is great. And I think the weather just, you know, makes us all even closer because we all Stronger. know how, you know, great it is to run through a Michigan winter. Well, that's, that's, that's right. I mean, you see it all over. Like you see the, the, the Colorado running scene is very similar. Uh, Minnesota is well, is well known for some of the, the excellent runners that have come out of Minnesota as well. Um, and shoot, even on this podcast, I've interviewed a bunch of people from Western New York, which is very similar in their weather uh, because they're in the same Great Lakes region um, as Michigan in terms of some of the, the, the lake effects that they might get. So you see that. You, I always wonder, like, do you think there's a natural-born toughness that comes with having to run through the winters in those areas? Do you think there's a benefit to that, even if, shoot, like, no one enjoys it, obviously? But do you think there's an internal be inherent benefit in having to, to run through that for several months out of the year? Yes. <laughs> I think we're tougher. <laughs> in fact, Sarah and I ran a race pretty recently. We both said it. It may have been the coldest we have ever been in our life. I mean, ever. It was, it was insane. And we got back in the car and we're like, we are, we are so not wimps. We get like the, <laughs> the award for the day. So I do think there's something to it. I mean, you know, it's just like pushing yourself. Like, you know, you don't have to go out and run in that type of weather, but you do. And it makes you, it makes you stronger, tougher. So I have to ask, how cold was this race and when did you run it? I, 
<laughs> it was in March where it really should Wait, be what? quite that cold. Yeah, no, but I God, it was not even, we it were was not sitting, normal. <laughs> we were in the car and we looked at the real feel. What was it? It was hovering right around zero. Uh, and the wind. And the wind, yes. it was very windy and you were running next to water. So the wind coming off the water was just absolutely polarizing. And I remember just kind of laughing, thinking, wow, I'm probably never going to feel this bad ever again. So that's cool. Like, I've, I've hit rock bottom right now. So it, it's, it's only up from here. We were so miserable. We were so angry. And then we got in the car. And we're like, yeah, that was awesome. But let's be honest. Days later, we were still saying that was awful. Yeah. <laughs> So, unless you're talking to people it. who didn't run, then you could be like, "Look how tough I am." Right, and now we're laughing oh, about exactly. it, so that's a good sign too. So, yeah, I love I love the gallows humor that that preceded the the effort. That's hysterical. Yeah. Um, oh, oh, that's great. All right, so before we get into our coach's corner segment, which I'm excited to do, what are you mentioned before? You have the Bayshore Marathon coming up, Sarah. You might like to do two marathons a year. So, the well, Amy, I'll start with you. The 2018 races on your horizon, and what are your goals for the year? So races on the horizon, obviously Bayshore is next weekend, and Sarah will probably get into this, but she's actually recovering from a small injury. So I am lucky enough to have her running as my pacer. So I am looking to – I'm probably looking to set a PR, which would break, be uh, breaking 335 for me and Sarah's going to run with myself and another one of our friends um, to kind of hopefully help us achieve that goal. Beyond that, um, I mean, that would obviously be a Boston qualifier for me. So I would love to run Boston in 2019. And then because Sarah is an ambassador, I think Detroit either half or full is probably on the horizon for me as well. Got it. All right. So Sarah, what what do you got? So, I mean, I've been pretty vocal on social media and and wherever that my ultimate marathon goal is to break three hours. And right now, my my most recent marathon was my PR. I ran a 304 in Indy this past November. So I'm getting closer. I had a little bit of a hiccup in my training for Bayshore. I came down with the flu, which really kind of knocked me for a loop. And then I developed a little bit of tendonitis in my knee, which... Thankfully, I had a good um, PT help me figure out that it was caused by some new orthotics that I had. So those orthotics are now gone, and I've been doing my PT work pretty diligently. Um, my volume is back where it normally is, but the intensity just you know hasn't been there to try and go for a sub three. So like Amy said, I'm going to be running with her at Bayshore. But um, beyond that, I will run the Detroit Free Press Marathon in October. Uh, hopefully going for a nice PR. I recently hired a new coach and we're going to start working together in June. So we're going to kind of build that foundation over the summer and hopefully get my speed where I want it to be. And then um, beyond Detroit, definitely Boston next April. There you go. So who's your new coach? Uh, Susan Loken. Oh, down there. Who has a really nice. Yeah, she, um, I was really drawn to her. I actually discovered her through Instagram, but she is such an accomplished master's runner and just super knowledgeable and running so fast and injury-free in her 50s. I thought, wow, she is really something, you know, that I 
want to be. So I contacted her and we had a, a phone conversation and we're going to start working together next month. I can't wait. That's great. She's actually a coach of another person I've had on this podcast. Um, and I, I follow, and, I follow Susan on Instagram as well. And, and she's definitely a very inspiring and, um, motivational figure and very knowledgeable as well. Uh, but yeah, Jessica Tandre was on this podcast. That's and right. She's and she coach. said wonderful things about her. And that was another thing that actually kind of got me looking at Susan on Instagram was listening to that podcast. Hey, hey, hey. Thanks for that. Thank you, Sarah. Well, it's funny <laughs> that you, so you got hurt by orthotics. I mean, that's like the height of irony. Like these things are supposed to I keep know. you healthy and it, it, it gave you an injury. And again, not a medical professional here. So, you know, anybody listening, <laughs> you don't necessarily do as I do. But what I have chosen to do uh, since getting rid of my orthotics, I am now running in a more supportive shoe without an orthotic. And knock on wood, it seems to be going very well. But I'm, I'm doing my PT exercises diligently. And I'm pretty happy to not be running in those orthotics, to be honest. I can imagine. That's for sure. All right. Well, let's get into Coach's Corner. All right. So we're going to do two questions. Uh, first question is I'll start with Amy. This is similar to something we've already talked about, but I think this is kind of takes it in a different direction. So okay. first of all, so this, this is going to talk about goals. Amy, how do you feel about the importance of setting internal versus external goals? Meaning internal goal would be an example of that would be like, hey, I want to lose 10 pounds or I want to run my first, you know, half marathon or something like that. Where an external goal would be like, Hey, I want to qualify for Boston. That being like an external, you know, an external thing, or even more importantly, like, Hey, I want to go beat Sarah Plumstead in a marathon. Oh, okay. Yeah, totally. That's my external goal. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, so I actually think there's a place for both. I, I don't think it's an either or. I really don't. I mean, I think internal goals, you know, running can be such an internal, an internal thing. And you can have tons of goals that you want to set just for yourself. And then I think the external goals are important too, because first of all, sometimes setting an external goal keeps you more accountable because people know about it or, you know, you're more, you're more vocal about it. Um, but I think, I think the internal goals are really what I think most runners do it for. It's about, you know, yourself and, you know, achieving those goals within yourself. Um, but as far as, I mean, I really, I do think there's a place, I don't think there's like a right or wrong. I think, you know, wanting to qualify for Boston or wanting to set a PR, wanting to beat Sarah Plumstead, all very Maybe not reasonable, but you know, <laughs> Come on. all very, um, you know, very reasonable goals to set. Like I, I, I don't think that there's a right or a wrong. So right. honestly, I think they both have a place. I set both all the time, and um, I don't think one is better than the other at all. And I feel like, int like you can, you can, they, they each have their positive and negatives. So Sarah, I'd love to hear like you respond to what I'm about to say regarding these. So like the, the problem with the problem sometimes with the, with internal goals, depending on the person, is that you can fudge them a little bit. You'd be like, I want to lose 20 pounds. <laughs> ah, 15 pounds is good enough. You know what I mean? Or like, you know, like no one's looking over your shoulder at the scale. 
You know what I mean? Like you can, there, there right. is a lack of accountability there unless you create your own accountability mechanisms. Whereas external goals, I guess the potential negative is that it's not necessarily under your control. Like say you're Sarah Plumstead, you want to go beat, you know, see the first woman overall at the Detroit Free Press Marathon, and then <laughs> you get a foot injury. Well, there goes your external goal right out the window. Or if you just like, hey, I want to go beat this other person, then all of a sudden they have the training session, kind of like the training of their life. Even if you run a PR, you might not beat them. Does that mean that you had a bad race? Right. No, I do like what Amy said about an external goal, establishing, you know, some accountability. But I think everybody is so different as far as what drives them. Like, I think some people are, internally are just driven enough to hold themselves accountable and make it happen. But some people need that. Oh, well, I just put on social media that I want to break three hours. So I better get my butt out the door and start training. So I do it. So Who would ever me, do that? Right. It's, it's obnoxious. So I, I mean, I think whatever drives you, I think it's much scarier to put the external goals out there. I mean, I think that's very, when someone says to you, you know, what's your goal? It's, it's scary to actually vocalize it because then it's out there for other people to hear. And it's, it's much different than setting an internal goal. So I think they both have a place. I agree. For sure. All right, so Sarah, I'm going to start with you on this next one. And this is for kind of the people who aren't necessarily on a personalized plan, maybe don't have a coach, uh, but are serious about running and and kind of are trying to take the right steps. And it's kind of a week-to-week scheduling question. Is that what? How do you feel about um, setting up a week's calendar where you have either a one workout day plus a long run or a two workout day plus a long run? What is your feeling on this approach? I know I keep going back and forth on this topic in my own training. Definitely. I think actually both of those concepts have their place in training. Um, Generally, let's say I'm coaching somebody for a marathon. In the first half of their training cycle, where they're focused on building volume, we'll do those two workouts, two speed workouts during the week and then a long run. And that long run is just about time on your feet, building endurance, building up your musculoskeletal strength. Um, And then as we move into the second half of the cycle, I will start to shift a little bit where you do, say, a tempo run during the week where you're focused more on maybe some half marathon pace miles. And then your long run on the weekend, you can do so many things speed-wise within that long run. You can do surges anywhere, you know, 30 seconds to a minute of of 10K pace to marathon pace. Or maybe you put some marathon pace middle miles in the middle of the run. Or maybe you do a fast finish where the first 10 miles you're going nice and easy. Last three, you're going to pick it up. Um, Or a progression. You know, you start at the slower end of your long run pace and you finish you know, almost at race pace. So there's so much that you can do within that long run. So I think that definitely both of them do have their place in training. And definitely as you shift, you get closer to race day. I do like to throw some speed work into the long run because it's a really good race day simulation, but you have a faster recovery because you're not running, you know, that many miles at your race pace. So it sounds like in either scenario, you're an advocate of kind of picking up the pace twice a week. If your body can handle it. And, you know, everyone is a little bit different. And I will say, now that I am in the master's category of running. You're just um, very experienced. 
Sarah, yes, that's all. I, I feel, experienced. yes, that word master is, is key. <laughs> You've mastered but, running. <laughs> but you do start to recover a little slower than, than you did maybe when you were 20. So I think everybody is different. And that's why I really like coaching people one-on-one because you, you talk to them, you're going to hear about their goals. You're going to hear about their injury history, what's worked for them in the past and what hasn't. And really training is not universal and you have to figure out, you know, what works best for you. There you go. And so Amy, how has this worked for you as you've kind of altered your training over the past couple of years to incorporate more, more speed stuff and uh, race specific stuff? Um, I, I like the hard workouts just from a enjoyment, I would say, you know, standpoint. So therefore I think that I typically tend to do a couple of faster, you know, tempo run speed session during the week and a long run. But Sarah is pretty good about keeping me um, in check as far as, you know, as we get older, we do need more recovery, unfortunately. And I need to remember that my body can't do the same thing that it did when I first ran a marathon in 1997. So I do try and keep that, um, you know, in mind as well. And I think that this, you know, I, I'm probably equally as focused with trying to get my strength training in just because I don't think anybody knows the, the ideal routine, you know, but we do know that strength training, well, that strength training does, you know, result in an improvement in your running time and that you will run faster, longer, stronger, and hopefully prevent injuries. There you go. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show today. I really appreciate it. I really appreciate your patience. I know the first time it didn't work out, it was no one's fault, but the uh, the audio was hopefully much better this time. And it was been a pleasure <laughs> talking to both of you. If someone wants to get more information on the Run Strong Project, where uh, where should they go? They can go right to our, rep- our website, runstrongproject.com. And they can also find us on social media, obviously. There you go. And I'll have the links to all that in the show notes. Thank you so much for coming on the show. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much for having us again. (laughs) Thank you, Matt. Take two was awesome. All right. Have a great day. Thank you. Thank you, Amy and Sarah, for coming on the show. And thank you, the listener, for listening all the way through this episode. I really appreciate it. And uh, I'll tell you, I love doing these podcasts and I love it even more when I see people sharing them with each other or or letting me know uh, what you think about the episodes or suggesting guests and just interacting with me about the show. It, It really does warm my heart. And the best thing you can do for the show is to share it with your friends. Also, to rate and review on Apple Podcasts, that helps me out uh, as I try to reach out to potential sponsors and people who want to get on board with this show. It's it's growing at an absolutely rapid rate. Last week, we had 19,000 downloads in one week because of you. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much. It's just so it's uh, it's just amazing to me how much this has taken off. Um, as you know, this is just a side project for me, but it uh, it really takes up all of my heart. So thank you so much. I really appreciate it, and happy running.